give uh, all our viewers and stuff, if you would, just a brief background, where you started, how you got up here to, <laughs> and I know it's, it's long, so we gotta. <laughs> it, it is, and uh, well, I, I started in the marine business uh, back in New York on Long Island when I was 16 years old. <clears throat> I was uh, previously working at a gas station, and when you work on cars, it's dirty. One of my friends is working in a marina, and um, he said, why don't you come work with me, because it's nice, clean job right <clears throat> lots of fun working on boats and that's how i started uh so long ago when the boats came in boats back then did not have engines controls matter of fact the only thing i did for the first six months was i put on windshields and canvases because they'd stack the boats they'd put seven boats on a truck and they'd stack them right up so they take the windshields canvases off right all i did windshields and canvases so that's how i started and i worked my way up from there so uh I went from that to rigging boats, so on and so forth. I worked in a uh, um, outboard repair shop. The name of the company was actually Outboard Service. I worked there for 26 years. I started as a mechanic and left as a manager. And uh, that's back in 1996. I uh, came down to Florida and started working for Dick Bassett, right. one of the originators of Marine Max. Yep. Uh, I was the assistant service manager in Pompano. And uh, I loved that job. Uh, Jay Carroll was the um, service manager, great guy to work for. Uh, he literally just retired, and I ran the yard. He ran the office, and uh, we did that for about a year and a half. And then they were having issues down at the Miami store, so they asked me to go down and straighten that out. <laughs> so uh, I was there for about maybe three weeks, and they asked me to stay there, and I was like, absolutely not. I'm not staying down here in Miami. And I went up staying there about 14 years running that store. Um Took a little vacation from Marine Max for a couple of years, went to work at Rybovich, worked on some big, big boats up there, and then came back to uh, Marine Max in St. Pete back in 2014. Right. And uh, service manager there, uh, getting ready to retire. And uh, I knew that I really couldn't just not do anything. So talked to Marine Max and uh, I'm what they call a senior service manager. I go around to different stores that could use a little help. Uh, management and uh, just give them some tips and advice on how to make things run a little better. And uh, here I am. You got plenty of that. And I'm, I'm glad you stuck with us and, and, and decided to do that, you know, because definitely can use a little tweaking here and there, I'm sure. And I, I'll tell you, you know, I really do love what I do. I really do. And I'm, I'm sure all of us sitting at this table do. Oh, yeah. Because um, if we didn't, we wouldn't be doing the job that we do. There's not too many people that. I think really love what they do and uh, fortunate enough in Marine Max, I think most everyone that works here really loves what they do. Yep. You know, great company to work for when you love what you do. It's uh, that old cliche. You never work a day in your life. So um, love it. Uh-oh, Keith. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I had it on mute. Now it is. Tell them to, tell them to tune in. <laughs> tune in. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Bruce has been doing this a little while now. So how, how can you say we've got a bunch of rapid-fire questions loaded up for you here, mm-hmm. but just from the beginning, right? Like, let's talk about how have you seen things? Like, what's the biggest – what is the biggest change that you've seen um, from a service standpoint as far as you're always keeping up with technology, you're always training your guys to be the best, to give them the right resources. That's a big Marine Max thing, putting your best players in a field where – some one or two shop operations can't do that. Um, 
how do you stay ahead of that curve? Well, just you like know, I said, it, it's absolutely training. It moves fast. It's, yeah. it's training because and things do. They change so fast, it's unbelievable. Um, I would say there's probably not a week that goes by that not there's not one person out at a training facility somewhere or doing training online. Yeah. There's a lot of online training right now. Um, you know, I've sent technicians out to uh, Italy, to Apakmari, to go to school for right. their lifts. Um just about anything. I mean, we're Sea Keeper certified, uh, Domatic, Wabasto, uh, Apoc Mari, like I said before, actually go to Azimuth School, Sea Ray School, Boston Whaler School. So there's a lot of schools out there. Mercury training, uh, the Mercury training is intense with all of it. I mean, my goodness, my goodness, the, the, the changes that have happened. In oh, yeah. Things. We we just had, we had Mercury on last week, um, steering and joystick division. Mm-hmm. Um, that moves fast. You need people to work on them. I mean, hey, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Boots break. They do. They Especially do. when you're using them. What that's, they'd rather be used than not used. It's not good when a boot sits. Absolutely. Um, stuff's going to break. It's recreational. Um, it's nothing to get worked up about. And the only thing more important than the product that Marine Max is selling is going to be the people standing behind it. And you need the best guys with the best training. So. Hell, Bruce and I have been doing this long enough since it started out, I think, with oars and rowboats and with sailboats. <laughs> <laughs> Two-stroke, yeah, four-stroke, right. and now we're getting into electric. Hey, and Bruce and Keith, they were working on Noah's Ark back in the day. Absolutely. Two by two. Before the show started, I was uh, telling these guys, um, you know, that, that I upgraded my engine on my boat. I've got uh, a 1996 boat, and I had a 1996 engine on a two-stroke, 175. Took that off and put a brand new 150 Merc in 2019 on it. And I was telling them, um, I used the boat for three times and um, my fuel gauge only went down a quarter of a tank. So from full went down to three quarter. And I thought my fuel gauge was broken. I mean, I literally thought it was broken. And then I went to the fuel dock and was surprised at at how little fuel it used. So the new technology, the new engines are just unbelievable. Everybody told me that, you know, going from a four stroke, from a two stroke to a four stroke, the additional weight and everything, I'd, you know, right. wouldn't go as fast. Well, the thing's faster out of the hole. It's faster on top. Yeah. And it uses so little fuel. It's You're not mixing any oil. <laughs> not yeah. mixing any oil. No smoke behind it. Quiet. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's literally incredible. Um, I mean, even yourself, you've been around for so long. I mean, Years ago, when you'd ride in a boat, you weren't able to talk to anybody. You couldn't no, hear them. No, the noise was so loud, you'd have to yell. And nowadays, you can talk. And, you know, I mean, some of them, you don't even hear them running. The only thing you hear is the telltale hitting the water, and that's the only way you know that they are running. So, so I, I remember as a kid in the Keys, you know, we go down there lobstering, right? And, you know, when you're lobstering, an easy way to cover a lot of ground is just throw a line out of the back of the boat, mass fence snorkel, and just drag behind the boat. Well, how the hell I'm still alive? I don't know. Sucking all the <laughs> well, mixing, mixing all the all the oil in there. See, so you come out, you come out from all day in there, and your your mouth tastes like the smoke coming from the engine and all that stuff. And in there, it was just yeah, things have changed. Hey, speaking of an oil slick in the water, um, we've got a bunch of preloaded questions here, but we're going to want you guys to put your own questions up on the screen, and we can get to them. We've got Kirk Fox on YouTube here. He says. When I lower my Sea Fox from the boat lift, my 150 Yamaha puts a rainbow oil slick in the water when the prop submerges. 
engine has 100 hours. What should I be looking for? Wow. Assuming this is a new 154 right. stroke. And okay. that's what I'm yeah. thinking, right, also, because uh, I'm, I'm guessing 100 it's, hours. it's yeah. only got 100 hours on it. Um, I would imagine there may be a little bit of fishing line or something behind the propeller that's opened up the prop shafts. Here. Yeah. Uh, got a little bit of oil that way. Um, that would be probably the only thing. I mean, there could be a lot of other things, but typically that's what happens. You get a little bit of fishing line, wraps up behind that prop, gets into the seal, opens it up, lets a little bit of oil out, especially since sitting on a lift. It's not really dripping. It's probably just a little ooze. And then when you put it down in the water, you see that rainbow because it doesn't take much to make that rainbow. Yeah. I mean, could be oil, could be um, could be your trim. It could be. It could be. But he's saying that as soon as it's propeller goes yeah. Right? yeah. So that's why so I'm thinking it, it's that, you know. Usually the trim... It, it may drip out of it, but it wouldn't yeah. throw a rainbow out until that part. So before. what's a so what's a fix for that? Well, I take the prop off, take a look, see if the uh, is the um, lines in there, and if it is, remove it. Sometimes it's all you have to do. If it hasn't been in there like that long, if it has, it will actually melt in there, and you'll have to get that seal replaced. But um, easiest thing is look for that fishing line. Yeah, that's that sucks. Nick and I can tell you we're. we're fish these kingfish tournaments and all of a sudden the wind blows a little bit the wrong way or something and <laughs> the reel goes off because I'm like, oh, I got one and it's yeah. up in the up in the prop or a downrigger line or downrigger yeah now I've done it it'll get yeah. day really quick yeah but um so cool keep the questions coming guys YouTube and Facebook we're gonna be here till four whether you like it or not. <laughs> and we're going to start going through some questions here, just some basic boat service. So I guess the first one is, Bruce, what are some common questions you get asked on a daily basis being in service? So like, you're novice boater, right? Because we've got a lot of new boaters on the water, especially with the whole boating craze here since COVID. It's intimidating, right? Like, like it's not like owning a car, even though a lot of these boat manufacturers and engine manufacturers, you hear the term sometimes car-like experience. Put the fuel in, have your oil change whenever you need it, 100 hours, and, and that's it. But, you know, as far as boat service questions, what are the biggest things on the service side that you can expect? What are some things that you can do yourself as far as flushing the engine and that? And what are some things that you're going to want somebody checking out the whole time? What what comes with that package on the water? Well, I'll tell you, it, it really comes down to basic maintenance. You know, um, um, <laughs> wow, it, it, there's a lot of things there. But yeah. really the simplest thing, and I think the most important thing, especially in salt water, is to flush that engine. Yeah. I am telling you, on my own engine, if I just start it up, and I mean, sometimes we use my boat to tow boat around at the marina. One of the things, I mean, all the guys can use my boat, but they know one thing for sure. They better flush that engine yeah. when they're done. Uh, getting that salt back out of it is it's extremely important. Uh, it's good for the longevity of the of the uh, boat because, um, let's face it, uh, salt water, salt is corrosive. Um, yeah. And um, <laughs> it was funny because years ago, I was probably about 18 years old, I was working on a boat and trying to get the starter out inboard. And I was cursing at it, and this older guy came over and said, you know, what's wrong? And I said, oh, everything's all rusty and really, really hard to get it apart. So he even said to me, he said, you know, you should thank goodness for that, because if it wasn't for that, anybody could get that starter out. But you're unique, you know, how to work on that rusty things. And uh, if it wasn't for that, things wouldn't go bad as often. So uh, we do deal with a lot of corrosion on salt water, a lot. Um, 
one of the other things in, before the show started, I was talking to Nick about, you know, boats like to be used. And uh, the reason they like to be used, again, it's really the salt water. It's the corrosion. Um, you know, when things are moving or whatever, the salt won't corrode them as much. Uh, if you use your boat like once a month or once every two months, then you're probably going to have more problems than a person that uses it all the time. Yeah. Um, they just really, really like to be used. And again, maintenance, it goes back to, and a lot of people don't really check their things like checking the oil in the engine. It's really important to do that, uh, especially with these supercharged engines. They put a lot of strain on it, you know, so they do use oil. Um, they just take the motor cover off and you check that dipstick and you should really have a quart of oil um, in your boat for that, you know, because yeah. they do use up some oil, especially when they're, when they're new. Like the first hundred hours, they'll use oil and then they seat themselves in and don't use as much. But uh, if you're pushing a big, heavy boat, they will use oil. Yeah, and with them sitting, it's it's a little bit different than a boat in a hangar or, mm. or I'm sorry, uh, an airplane in a hangar or a car in a garage. Yep. You know, it'll it'll sit and, you know, stuff will go bad you know, if you're not using it. I mean, that's another thing, like, for boat buying. I know a lot of people buy boats on the private market on their own, representing themselves, and, hey, it looks awesome, right? Like, man, you won't believe what I found. I found a 2014, but it's only got 20 hours on it. Right. That's a huge red flag. Yes, it That's is. That's a huge yeah. red flag. That boat did a lot of sitting. The fuel lines did a lot of sitting. Yep. And um, and, and that could be a huge can of worms in itself. So to me, I'd rather see a boat with about. I mean, what do you what do you say the perfect ratio is? You know, like not overused between fifty and hundred hours a I would year. Say, yeah, I was here. I was literally yeah. going to say seventy five to eighty hours a year yeah. is probably you know perfect uh, right in there. Now the northern markets they're not going to be that much yeah. because um, you don't have the Time that we uh, have down here with the luxury of having beautiful weather all the time. Yeah. Man alive, when I first moved down here, you know, we, I went out the uh, inlet with somebody like a 50 foot boat and it was five foot seas out there. And like, oh, I ain't going out today. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, but it's, it's just, it's beautiful down here all the time. So, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, we have luxury down here. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. So, another, another thing, though, too, though, is like generators. So you people that have generators in your boat, it might be a nice day and you may not need to have the air conditioning running or something like that, but still, you know, put some hours on it, put some time mm-hmm. on it. I mean, your generator should literally have more hours on it than what your engine hours mm-hmm. would do. So you're sitting out at the beach, you're hanging out, you know, let that generator run and circulate through there. I mean, I just know from history boats, we kind of come in on trade or service boats that the ones, the generators got the, least amount least of hours, hours on it or whatever are kind of the ones that are more temperamental or, or you know may have more issues with it rather than having that you know yeah. water flow constantly going through them i've got a good example for you so i mean we we deal with this a lot all of those boats that come out of the marine max vacation program and a charter program i mean they're running high hours on the generators five thousand hours 2,000 hours on the engines and man you you get in those boots everything's all loosened up yep. everything's working um, I mean, and they, they're fine-tuned machines at that point, Absolutely. even with the high hours. So, opposed to boats that are going to sit. I've got a question for you, Bruce. I don't even think it's on our notes here, but let's call saltwater, saltwater speaking. What are some different challenges that you'll see on boats from up in the northeast cold water um, compared to boats down south? What are some different, different service challenges that you're going to see between the two regions? Okay, up, up north, you won't have... I, I, 
the marine growth that you have down here. Yeah. The marine growth. When I first moved down, I, I just I was um, I was amazed at how quick the growth grows down here. You know, uh, we tell everybody that you you should have a diver on your boat. Well, if you use your boat every single weekend, you don't need a diver. You, you don't need one at all. But if you don't, then you do. Uh, during the summertime, when the water gets really warm, you'll need a diver twice a month on the bottom of the boat to clean it, yeah. clean all the, the foul on it. Um, but it's 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 amazing how quickly this stuff grows down here and how how much it grows. But when I was up on Long Island, I mean, you can paint the bottom with any any of the bottom paints. Yeah, they, they all work great. You know, down here, uh, there's areas like Longboat Key, stuff like that that there's. Marine growth is just unbelievable. That Miami Beach Marina, uh, you need really the top of the line products for it. Uh, they've got bio sides now and everything. Because years ago, one of the things I know a lot about is bottom paint. But years ago, uh, it would literally kill the um, the growth. The good um, stuff. Yeah, the good stuff. Yeah, had <laughs> all the copper in it, <laughs> copper tin. Right. You know, I mean. It's a pesticide. Uh, it's a it's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. You have to have a pesticide application license on right. site, right? Correct. Because I have a pesticide app pesticide applicators permit to bottom paint. Okay. But it, it depends on how much bottom paint you buy. Um, I don't know in each one of our locations if we do buy that much, but I do have one from years ago. Right. Because it was classified a pesticide. And um that's how it worked. Um, but they had, you know, tin in the, in, in the paint, <laughs> copper. Uh, they don't have any of that anymore. And because, um, you know, what would happen is that stuff would come off, go on the bottom, the crabs would eat it, whatever, it'd kill the crabs. It literally kills the uh, it kills the uh, growth. So yeah, um, barnacles won't grow or anything on it. But the new stuff, really, it's a, it's a, a blade of paint, which means it sheds off. Mm-hmm. So as you drive the boat, the paint literally peels off. And that's what helps it for, you know, keep the boat clean. And, uh, but you need a diver on there to, to keep it clean and keep it down to uh, uh, where the, the pesticides are or whatever inside the paint. Right. So. So in fresh water, bottom paint, do you need it? Does it help? Like, like from blistering and stuff like that. Right? I mean, you see that where right. water it, will get in the jug. I'm not the best with, with fresh water, but uh, I'm pretty sure that it is necessary because the boats are painted that are right. in the, the big lakes. You know, I've been out. Actually, I ran our Texas store for a while uh, in Dallas. I probably ran, ran that for about a month. And um, it's it's pretty cool, those those lakes. I mean, you got 60-foot boats on lakes. You know, yeah. It's just, it's pretty amazing. And they're um, pristine. They're pristine. You know, uh, we, we got a... Uh, I was in Pompano at the time. We got a 63 Sea Ray SS trade and came in from Lake Erie. And uh, the boat was five years old. I got on the boat when it came off the transport. And I looked inside the engine room. And I literally thought they replaced everything in the engine room because there was no corrosion, no rust. The thing looked, it looked brand new. And I'm like, my God, what happened here? But it's from being on fresh water. And then just the opposite, when I was down in Miami, I had a uh, customer came in from uh, Chicago with his 34. And he asked me what he needed to do to, uh, to make it ready for fresh water. I said, well, you know, sometimes in, I mean, in salt water, so sometimes in fresh water, they use magnesium anodes instead of zinc or aluminum. So we changed those over to aluminum anodes. But uh, but then I think a, a month it came back and I, he was almost in tears because his engine was rusting, you know. And I said, well, that's what happens in salt water. You have to 
continually either put WD-40, whatever, on the external part, keep it clean, but the salt will make anything that rust, rust. Yeah. You know, the bronze turns it green. Uh, freshwater doesn't do that. I've got a question for a lot of our freshwater people watching with outboard engines. So we talked about flushing. Do you need to flush your engine in freshwater? No, no, you don't. No, you are flushing it as you're driving it. Yeah. You know, you, you literally are. The uh, maintenance schedule in freshwater is so much less than in salt water. Really? So it's oh. not they're not running 100-hour services? Oh, they are. They oh, are. yeah. But it's just like <clears throat> here in the salt water, um, Mercury recommends basically for the first 300 hours. The first 100 hours is basically an oil change. The mm-hmm. second one's a basic oil change, filters, things yeah. like that. The third one is dropping a low unit, checking them. Mm-hmm. We absolutely recommend the third one for mercury at the second, you know, because you let the salt water sit, you'll be having an extreme difficult time dropping your lower unit if you don't do that within the second year because uh, the salt gets up in the threads and it, and, and corrodes. Uh, fresh water, you can leave that thing in the water for 10 years and it'll come right apart. You know, there's uh, really no corrosion factor at all. So that's 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 fresh water, fresh water, not like what we got here, no. like over in Mira Bay or up the canal here, where you've got yeah, you got lifts that you'll go over into little areas where you're on a freshwater system, but that's still brackish water. Mm-hmm. So you've got you get transfer of, of all that. So those of you that live in those kind of places where you've got a lift that goes from salt to fresh, which is pretty cool, yeah. But you still make sure you flush those things out because you want to get all that salt water out of there. Want to get it all out every bit. Speaking of maintenance and well well maintained engines, two questions here. One, highest amount of hours you've ever seen on an outboard engine? Because because we get it all the time, right? Like people look and they'll say five hundred hours. They're like, oh, that boat's high hours. It's not true. I mean, that boat's got a lot left in the tank. We, where I worked up in New York, we worked on commercial fishing boats that yeah. use outboards. We'd get 3,000 hours on an outboard motor before the guy would trade it in. Yeah. And it was still running fine yeah. when we traded it in, you know. Um, so uh, it really depends on how, how well you take care of it and how much you use it, you know. But, um, you know, I, I, I'd say a normally used engine uh, where you're using about 80 hours a year, you'll probably get 1,000 hours on it before you have any real major problems yeah. if you take care of it. Um, but the guys that use it to extreme um, I'm sure even, uh, you know, like Troy's, Troy Morgan, his brother runs yeah. a, uh, a fishing, um, charter yeah. boat, fishing oh, yeah. Yeah. Fishing charter. Charter. Yep. Yeah. center console, fishing charter. Yeah. Yeah. My, my brother runs Club. an operation like mm-hmm. that, like, like Brian's and, um, they're doing four or 5,000 hours yeah. on their engines right. between repowers. Mm-hmm. Yep. What about like diesel engines, like remands oh. and all that stuff? Uh-huh. Like. Diesels are a whole other, you know, I mean, you know, you're talking 10, 15,000 hours on an engine before you have to really, but I think they recommend like 10,000 or overhaul on them. Um, and what are these like remands that you'll see on cats nowadays? Mm-hmm. I mean, they certify it and everything, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Caterpillar rebuilds them and they certify them as, you know, I mean, um, <clears throat> used to be able to buy a lot of things remand, but yeah. nowadays with the supply chain shortage, I yeah. don't think they have very much available at all. Um, but they, you know, the reman stuff, um, Mercury had it and everything. You'd get a an engine that was remanufactured by Mercury, and you'd get a one-year warranty with it. You know, it's uh, good stuff, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So on, on the maintenance side of things, right, 
I'm not a mechanic. I'm not very mechanically inclined. So if I'm taking a trip, I'm going to the Keys, I'm going to the Bahamas or whatever, right? More than likely, if you've got parts in your boat, you're going to find some, I guarantee you, you pull out a $100 bill and somebody standing on the dock is going to be able to go down and change out an impeller on your generator. Absolutely. Or, you know, have something with you. So tools and spare parts, right? Tools and spare parts, absolutely, especially if you're going to the Bahamas. Um, what goes in your bag, generally <laughs> speaking? Well, okay. It, another thing, your toolkit in your boat, okay? Yeah. You'll have to keep that lubricated because most people take that, that toolkit, they buy it, they fold it They're up, they nice put it down in the bill, yeah. and they leave it there. And when you go to use it, it's just a ball of rust, right? You know, WD-40, it, whatever, take it out, clean it up. You can clean, keep it in the bilge, but keep it lubricated. Otherwise, when you go to use it, it's not going to be usable. Uh, spare parts, especially, again, in the Bahamas. If you're in the Bahamas, um, years ago, the, the fuel was notoriously bad over there. I constantly tell my people to carry uh, up to three sets of fuel filters for their boats, you know, um, just to get back. Impellers, oil, um, man alive, uh, Parts departments will usually have a good kit, you know, uh, belts. Um, bilge pumps. Well, uh, bilge pump, yeah. But usually it's, it's a it's a maintenance item. Like, you, you'll be going along and a belt will shred. And then yeah. it's, okay, now your engine's down, you can't run it. Um, if you have a belt, you can put it back on. But typically, this really, <laughs> believe it or not, there's not that much stuff that really goes wrong with these things anymore. There really isn't, yeah. you know. Uh, the, the motors are voltage sensitive, uh, so a lot of times, a lot of the problems we have are because uh, the, the batteries are old, they're getting old, they're not maintained, uh, charges don't work well, whatever, but voltage is, is really your uh, your biggest issue on a lot of the new engines. Um, anything below, I think it's 10 and a half volts, the engines just don't want them to even run Yeah, it'll start wigging out. You know, um, the electronics will go, you know. Um, but anyway, as far as <clears throat> spare parts, definitely impellers, belts, um, extra oil, you know, um, fuel filters, fuel filters, fuel filters. Um, those strainers. Kind of stuff. Strainers. Yeah. Uh, strainers you can clean. I mean, even if you're, you know, your strainer basket broke, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, yeah. but still. It's usually just a little handle yeah, on top little, of it. Yeah, snaps off. Yeah. Right. But as long as you, you check the boat before you go, I mean, and clean the bottom. Uh, I, I remember, you know, have, having people going to the Bahamas and they didn't have their bottom cleaned. And um, I had people that were running out of fuel before we got to the island. And the only reason was because the bottoms were fouled and they didn't clean them, you know, so. Yeah, it doesn't take much either. No. I mean, we've even seen it a few times where in the summertime, somebody might not be using their boat every single month. And they'll say, oh, well, I'm just going to do once a month still, you mm-hmm. know, because I'm not out and they're using it every single month. But man, that once you start getting into hard growth, oh, yeah. it does not take much. No, it doesn't. And it's hard to come off. It's really hard to come off. You know, you're dragging barnacles the size of probably your thumb, you know, that are going <laughs> along and you got a couple of hundred up on the bottom. That takes a lot more fuel to push it through the water. Yeah. So, so before we jump off the spare skag, I actually got an email here from Marine Max, Master Tech, that um, he's kind of the galleon rep and we were talking the other day about a toolkit and like what what he would have in there he actually emailed me this so you guys i'm going to real roll through it here but obviously it's on tape here so you can play it back if you if you care to but 
There's like, he's just got 17 items here real quick. A 19-inch uh, plastic toolbox with storage on top for small items like screws, etc. LED flashlights and batteries, a measuring tape, a snap-off knife, mixed set of files, steel hammer with claw, 6-inch and 10-inch crescent wrench, a small mirror on a stick, plier sets, cutters, long nose, etc. Metric and SAE wrench set to three-quarter inch, mixed bungee set, a 100-piece ratchet and socket set, electrical tester AC and DC with case, small and large vice grip, a hacksaw, Allen key set, metric and SAE, and a mixed screwdriver set. And that, if you've got that with you, and you've got those spares that he was talking yeah, about. Spare parts. Somebody's going to be able to get in there and pretty much take care of, of you know, right. the basic stuff that you're going to need should you get stuck somewhere or need something done. You know, just thinking about impellers, it doesn't take much as you're driving along if you pick up a bunch of weeds on your strainer, plastic bag. And by the time you know that you're not getting water, especially if you've got a diesel or something that's freshwater cooled, so it takes a lot of water. Well, it takes a lot to heat up the fresh right. water inside of it. So by that time, your impeller is probably halfway fried out, you know. Um, just picking up seaweed, plastic bag, anything like that will toast that impeller, and then you're stuck. Um, so if you have a spare impeller, you take that one out. Make sure that there's no pieces broken off or missing from that impeller, because a lot of times they go down the hose and into your heat exchanger and block it off. But right. That's a little bit extreme. You just change out your impeller and away you go. And like Keith said, you've got uh, if you've got the parts, I guarantee you on that marina dock somewhere, especially in the Bahamas, there's always somebody looking to get a little bit of American cash over there, you know. <laughs> yeah. And they usually do a pretty darn good job, you know. So um, again, carry spare parts. Yeah, we uh, we got a couple other good questions coming in here from Facebook and YouTube. Keep these questions coming, guys. You're, you're, if, if you don't ask these questions now, you're going to regret it. I can promise you that. We've got Mike McHenry here. Actually, before we get to Mike, there's a Facebook question first from a name I recognize, Tina, who I believe just took delivery on a 17 Montauk. I've seen her on a few of the Whaler pages. Yep. Um, congrats, Tina. Congratulations. Um, and the question is, what should I be doing for a brand new boot? I mean, this is a fresh order 17 Montauk. Flushing the engine, scheduling my yearly service, anything else. Thanks, Captain Keith, for helping us get all set up with our boot. So new boots, everything's new and shiny. Everything works or supposed to. Um, what's What can they do to be proactive as far as um, not lagging on any services? Right. A 17 Montauk, um, I'm sure it's got, what, 150 on that? Mm -hmm. That's a you know, and I hate saying the 150 is a basic engine, but that's what I've got. It's and 115, it I believe. It's 115, the same technology. Yeah, same technology. Again, Mercury doesn't recommend a 20-hour service, um, but I got to tell you, I did one on my own. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, grew up as a mechanic. Um, the first 20 hours, the gears are meshing in, the, the pistons going up and down. Change your oil change your fuel filter, change your lower unit oil. That's what I did on mine. Mm -hmm. uh, I would recommend that to everybody if you want to be, you know, over and above. And Marine Max does give you all that stuff, too. And a lot of people are like, why are they giving us this? Yeah. But, I mean, they do give them the oil, at least at our store. You know, and um, <clears throat> then this way here, then you go for a 100-hour service, and you just follow that recommendation. If you're using it in salt water, 
Um, usually, if, if you go to any of the service centers, they're going to tell you you really need the 300-hour at 200-hour, and that's mm-hmm. what we do. Marie Max also sells those pre-planned uh, maintenance programs, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. F&I, which to me, <laughs> man alive, what a, what, a, what a buy that was because – they just raised just raised the price, but back when they first initially did the, the labor rate was one forty nine an hour that they based it off of, and I mm-hmm. think they gave you about a ten or fifteen percent discount. Off. Yeah, and you get locked into that right. labor rate. Yep, for, for three years. Yeah, for three years. So you're not going to pay labor rates. Not going to go down. No, nope. no, it's not guaranteed. Parts are not going to go down. Yeah, not going to go down. No, man. no. I mean, a lot I of just, people uh, are doing that. Man. Yeah, it's, it's, what, it's what an upside to that. You know, um, it was funny. I was just reading an article on. Like 17 things not to buy when you're buying a, a new car. And one of the things that they actually do say that it's probably a good thing to buy is the prepaid maintenance program. Yeah. Um, I know with us it is. It really is. You know, I'm not a salesman whatsoever. Not at all. Right. I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a mechanic, a glorified mechanic. And, um, you know, I look at things different ways, but um, uh, the prepaid, prepaid Paid plan planned maintenance. maintenance program is a good thing to buy when you buy the boat yeah. so yeah yeah it'll definitely pay for itself i mean and it doesn't even cost you anything extra all you're doing is just paying for it in advance and right. the only thing you can do is save money absolutely uh-huh um whether you believe in back-end products or not at the dealership there's a whole different story but um yeah it's definitely a good one yeah, uh, we got a couple other questions coming in here from YouTube. I know they're kind of hard to read, but we've got Mike McHenry that has two, he, or just one. He says, "I have a 2021 19 Montauk with a 150 Merc Porsche. Engine has 30 hours on it now. What services do? I guess that kind of goes into what we were just talking yeah, about, just talking about oil change, and then right. There, there really isn't anything due. The first recommended service from Mercury is at 100 hours. Bruce Laporta recommends 20 hours." If you have 30, change that lower unit oil at, at the minimum. Yeah. You know. Yamaha's going to require it. I think, yeah. Yeah, they're going to require 20. Right. But um, I uh, I think it should be done, you know. And, again, that's just my recommendation. Here's a good one here from William Corte. He says, thoughts on running wide open. How often is too often? Okay. Running an engine at 100% right. load. Just about every single trip I take on my boat on the way back in, I run it wide open throttle. Uh, just run it wide open throttle just for a few minutes. Um, and again, you know, it's varying your RPM is, is is probably a very important thing. So it never builds up a pattern. But if you have over a couple of hundred hours, it's not going to get one anyway. Uh, I just like running it at wide open throttle to make sure that I am getting wide open throttle. There's nothing else that's going on. And typically, if you're, you know, the very first thing that happens if you're not getting wide open throttle is you got growth on your bottom, you know. Um, but I, I do that. I just do that for just a couple of minutes, but just about every single time that I take my boat out. Um, what What do you recommend, Keith? So that's actually in on some of the engines in the Mercury on the Mercury side. That's actually part of your break in period for the first couple hours. You run your boat at about three quarters throttle, and then every ten minutes or so for up to one minute. Go ahead and get on it, hammer it down, let it run wide open, get it back into that three-quarter range. Then the next eight hours, you're just varying your throttles um, just so everything seats in all the different you know levels and positions and stuff like that. So you're not building memory up in it. But I do the same, exactly the same, man. I'll, you 
you want to get out there and make sure you're you're turning up, spinning up to where it needs to be. Yep. Make sure everything's working properly. Yeah. I like to go fast. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's also, I mean, you know, um, and uh, I just had a 36 outrage pretty fast this morning. You know, if you have a if you have a Simrad screen, you can actually get your you can look it up and get your mileage on there as your best mileage, uh, you know, RPM to mileage. Yep. And I think mine's at oh gosh, like um, uh, thirty eight hundred something like that was my best mileage on my boat motor combination. Everyone will be different, yeah. but uh, it shows up on its screen. Any of y'all out there that've got a Boston Whaler, they've got an Boston Whaler has an app. Yeah, that's fantastic. We all use it. So it'll have it'll list every model in there, and then you can get performance and speed and specs and the uh, anything you can think of on there. It'll break it down: your RPMs, your range, all that. It's all all in there. And then speaking of apps too, then we got the Marine Max app, uh, also free at the App Store. And then you can select your store that you're gonna have your service done at, and you can connect directly with service riders and, and all that if something's going on on the boat. Right then and there, you can take a picture of the code, send it in to them, and do all that stuff. It's it's very versatile, a bunch of stuff. And if we're talking apps, I am in no way, shape, or form, contrary to popular belief, a Mercury salesperson. But if you have a Mercury engine, check out the Vessel View mobile app. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, even if your boat does not have it, all it is, I'm pretty sure, is just a module, right? Yes. And you can know anything going on with your boat right there on your phone. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but it hooks up to NEMA, right? I don't know. I know that the, it's gonna it's gonna plug the, the vessel view mobile thing. app. I mean, even if you're you a technician, oh yeah, well, I've got it on my phone. Um, so if I'm on somebody else's boat, I can literally get into that to see if there's any codes, anything really? going on. Yeah, so you know, it's just it's a vessel view, vessel, and it uh, it's a module you bolt on, and it's it works on Wi-Fi, and. Um, you can just go in and RPMs, see. fuel flow, battery voltage, yeah. everything. That's cool. Codes. Yep. It uh, works really, really well. Works really well. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to the future. You had you had mentioned a little while ago about varying the RPMs mm-hmm. on your outboard. We got Lisa here. She says, "How does an engine pick up a pattern?" Right from running it at the same when the engine's new, same RPM, same RPM for a long period of time, for an extended period of time. That's why they want you to vary your RPM, especially when it's new, for yeah. the first like ten hours. Um, just vary it, you know, just go back because it will, it'll, it'll build a pad, the the piston going up and down inside the cylinder. You got to, got to remember it. I mean, at three thousand RPM, that piston is literally going up and down three thousand times a minute. That cylinder. So you're running out for a hundred hours. I can't even do the calculations in my head how many times the thing's been up and down inside right. that cylinder. Uh, if it goes at the same RPM, it's got the same weight rocking back and forth and going up and down. So it's going to build a pattern up inside. Change the RPM, and it's only got to change 10, 15 RPM. It'll change the pattern that it wears in. So the wear in is is very important on it, and uh, you know. But I like varying my RPM anyway, and I guess just because. I'm so used to, you know, just how the internals work on the engines that uh, it's just ingrained in me from when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I didn't know that personally on Mercury's, but, you know, I've gone over the, especially with us dealing so many nautic stars lately, Keith, you've been going over the, 
the break-in period for the first 10 hours, which is, um, I could be wrong here, but just shooting from the hip, I think it's keeping under 3,000 RPMs for the first hour, under 4,000 RPMs for the second hour. Then after that, just vary. I mean, if it's 550 mm-hmm. every five or 10 minutes, right. then after 10 hours or whatever they say, you're That'd good. Be good. But, mm-hmm. um, I guess that's why, right? So, yeah, and that's, there's, read your owner's manuals, guys. You know, if you got a new boat, you got an owner's manual in there. Every engine's a little different. There could be a something new that came out that, you know, I haven't read or, or don't know about. So I promise you it's in there in black and white and it won't take you long. And you can go through there. There's a little there's two pages in there. You just go to the index and go to break in procedure. And it's right there. You know, it's everything's a little different. Let's talk about one thing that comes to mind, right? In all of your years, what is the craziest thing that you've seen in a boat? Like, I, like for an example, have you ever seen somebody um, bring a boat in and say, hey, this boat's not running right. You look and there's a homeless guy living down in the village or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, what's the craziest reason that you've ever seen Welcome to Miami. a boat? <laughs> yeah, probably, probably okay, I've had worse than that in Miami. But, <laughs> okay, I had a customer call me up and he's, he's panicking on the phone that his boat was sinking. Okay, it was a 42-foot sea ray. This is when I was down in Miami. And um, uh, the guy had a bunch of guests on the boat, and he is panicking. So I told him, I said, no problem, no problem. I'll put the travel lift in the water, put the travel lift down. I said, you know, come on up the canal, and uh, as soon as you get here, I'll put you right in its slings. We'll lift you up. He came up the canal relatively fast because he was panicking. He thought he was sinking and um, put it into the, into the travel lift. Then I noticed right off the bat that I could still see the water line. So he obviously wasn't sinking, but something was really, really wrong. Uh, long story short, I hauled it out of the water, Keith, and it had a, a cooler stuck on one of the blades of the propeller. And as the propeller would go around, it was beating on the bottom of the boat. So I couldn't even imagine the noise and the vibration coming out of this with this big cooler on one of the blades of the prop just beating on the bottom of the boat until it came out, you know. But uh, uh, he was panicking and, uh, you know, so. Um, remove the cooler and sang on his remove, way. Exactly. Remove the cooler and away you go. So, uh, also had um, a boat that we put two brand new Caterpillar engines in it, uh, another like 60-footer. Guy kept it at uh, Miami Beach Marina, and um, <laughs> we delivered the boat back there. Three weeks later, he came down to use the boat for the first time, took the boat out for a ride. It wouldn't go over, I think, 1,800 RPM, something like that. And this guy was screaming at me and asked him if he had a diver on the boat. And he was like, of course I did, you know, so on and so forth. Well, anyway, big, long story short, he brought the boat in. And the only thing that was wrong with it was the barnacles on the propellers. You know, I mean, it was just in three weeks, there was an enormous amount of barnacles built up on a propeller that it wouldn't go over 1,800 RPM on these brand new engines. Up on this boat. A lot so, of these bottom divers are taking videos as well just yes. to make sure everything's good. I just, I was dealing with an Aquila down in Naples and I'm a good friend of mine, the owner, and he's like, and you know, it's great, whatever. But the bow thrusters are not doing a thing. Mm-hmm. They're not doing a thing. And we're like, okay, whatever. He's doing his normal haul out annual. He pulls it out, and literally, there's no way any water was going through it. Of course, no, because yeah. because the diver was cleaning the, the hull of the boat good, running gear, everything like that. You couldn't, you couldn't, there was no light coming yeah. through. I mean, it was just packed full of barnacles yep. there in that bow thruster. 
So, I mean, I guess that's important to know. Absolutely. Pods are really susceptible to, I mean, even yeah. I think more so than regular straight in boards. Yeah. I, my experience has been, you know, the IPS or the, the Zeus pods, you get just a little bit of grip on them. It's your performance is done. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's, it's hard to, to because uh, I'm pretty sure on the IPS, they recommend prop speed. I don't think they recommend any kind of anti-foul on it. So prop speed is literally not an anti-foul right. either. It's just a very, very slick um, substance that you put on running gear and the particles and stuff shed off. Now, if you take too long of a time and you don't have a diver on there uh, to clean off when the particles start and they get really big, they'll grow right through the prop speed and then it makes it worthless. So, yeah. Um, again, keeping a diver on that boat, keeping it cleaned or using the boat, you know, it's, a, it's important. And when you use the boat, just like, you know, getting back to your bow thruster, use your bow thrusters, yeah. use, use your things, you know, use your electronics, uh, just turn turn systems on, use them, you know. Um, bow thrusters, a lot of times, um, people don't use them that much. They don't, they probably don't use them as much as they think they're going to in the beginning. Yeah. And actually, the better you are at driving the boat, or the more you learn how to drive it, the less you're probably going to use it. But use that bow thrust to keep it clean. I hear it all the time. Oh, it's cheating. I don't want to do that. Yeah. It's cheating. <laughs> you know, the joystick. Oh, it's cheating. I don't want to do it. I want to do it. This use. It's like it's a tool there for you to use. Right. The thing, you know? No, 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 no. I don't need that. Now. I'm too good. <laughs> you know? yeah. you, got, you got another good question here from Larry Beeler. Beeler. I need a new steering actuator for a 310 SLX. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part not available for Mercury until right. late May. Is it safe to use a used part with an unknown history or better to wait on the new one? Uh, okay, that's really up to you. Because um, I was going to say, I know that there, there are some people with some used ones available out there. Um, again, uh, a used one is a used one. You'll, you don't know if it's good, if it's not good. Um, it could be perfectly fine. It could last you years. Um, it may not be. Uh, I don't know if you're buying it from a reputable person, um, but uh, if you are and you need to use the boat, by all means. But um, you know, I, I I know the supply chain issue is a is a it's a big issue. It's it really is. Yeah. It's it's a tough thing. Um, you know, trim and tilt modules they've been on back order since I think November. Mm-hmm. They're just starting to come back out now. Um, you know, at least with the trim and tilt, if you use a a used one, it's not like a steering uh, actuator or module, you know. Your steering's a little bit more important than your trim and tilt. Yeah. It's the uh, trim and tilt. I always recommend people, if they can find a used one, buy a used one. It'll get you out of, it get you back out on the water. But um, that's really going to be up to you if you're going to buy a, a used actuator. Um, I, uh, I'd be hesitant because it is your steering. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you, you run that risk of used parts, and I get it. It's frustrating, too, especially I in Florida. You need to wait two, three months, whatever. You go over two, three months of sunshine. But up north, I mean, if you're going to eat away your season, that can really ruin your right. whole experience. Absolutely. Now, I, I just ran through the same thing on a Yamaha Attack, one of the new ones, and I couldn't even get an ETA. Mm-hmm. So I said, whatever. I bought one off of YouTube. I kept the old, or not YouTube, off of Beach Bay. Um, worked awesome. Cool. Up until the point of selling the boot, eventually, I got the new one in through warranty, and then it was a spare at that point. Yeah. But you definitely run that risk on used parts or yeah. eBay or whatever it is. 
I happened to luck out with it. It cost me a little bit of money, but it was pretty much plug and play and and ask for a better experience. But I, I, you know, it does go both ways. We know that. So, hey, I got, got hurricane season coming up, which nobody probably wants to talk about, but you've seen a whole bunch of them and, and mm-hmm. you've dealt with, with people bringing boats in for storage. Some places will. Some people try to get rid of boats. What do you recommend with the canvas and covers and stuff like that? So to, normally it's a rain event, right? And if the storm misses you, if you got everything covered, but then if you do get hit, it can tear your canvas up and do more damage to your boat. I, I got to tell you, I was um, in Miami during Hurricane Wilma, and Wilma was forecasted as mainly a rain event, 60 to 70 mile an hour winds. And if you remember, Wilma came in, it came in the Gulf, it came in like Fort Myers, came across the Everglades and then hit us. Yep. And <clears throat> Not being a weather forecaster, I figured coming across the Everglades, it's going to lose power, but it gained power coming across and picked up. But I, I do rule of thumb. If, if the thing's going to be 70 miles an hour and less, I cover the boats. Put all the canvas on, cover the boats, tie them up really, really well. If it's going to be more than that, then it take all the canvas off and protect the dash, like shrink wrap, things like that, you know. Um Because the, the canvas will, will handle a 70-mile-an-hour wind, but it's not going to handle much more than that. So during Wilma, I had all the guys cover all the boats, all the canvas. When we came back after the hurricane came through, there wasn't one single piece of canvas on any boat in my yard. Not nothing, zero. No damage other than that. But um, and then you know there there was uh, I'm trying to remember two or three dryland marinas that actually came down during Hurricane Wilma over there. So yeah. it was a, a very very strong powerful event that we had over there so like i said it's it's really hard to predict but if it's 70 or below i just cover them up if it's above that take it all off stow it away shrink wrap the dash all up shrink wrap the cabin door shrink wrap everything you can uh just to stop it from getting damaged um you know tying the boats up because i mean you know you got hurricane haul outs where you can haul them out put them on land right but there's only so much land to put them on so yeah, and so much time to haul the boat. Right. So you have to have enough scope on the lines for the tide if it's going to have a go up or down. Right. Depending on what side of the storm you're on. Because uh, we had one where it sucked the water out. I think it was Irma. Was it Irma? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, so yeah. having a scope on the lines, I mean, it was uh, important. But we had boats hanging there at the marina. Yeah. You know. Then um, that last one, it was Ada. It's it just, especially with Tampa Bay, right? Mm-hmm. Just the direction of the hurricane, whether it's going to suck it all out or push it back in. And that was a weak hurricane, strong tropical storm. Yeah. And uh, myself, Joshua, and our business manager at the time, Mike, we stayed overnight there because high tide was coming right mm-hmm. from the surge and from the right direction. And for the first half of the storm, it was... It's kind of fun, right? It was like put the breakers off, got the power, wait for the surge, and then it got to the point the dock boxes are floating all over the place, boats are up in the air, and um, and that was a weak storm, but um, you just can't underestimate it. And in Florida, we get desensitized to it. Oh, here's a hurricane, it's a category one, but um, yeah. I mean, they give you all the time in the world to prepare for them. It's not Absolutely. like it's a tornado that's going to come out of nowhere, Correct. You, you know, when a hurricane's coming, so um, so yeah, exactly. 
you know, but uh, like I said, a lot of people really want to get their boats hauled for a hurricane. And, and again, is you know, if you can, we've got some hurricane uh, haul out plans, but um, uh, you got to really buy them ahead of time, way ahead of time. Yeah, like um, right when a season ends <laughs> exactly. the previous year. Correct. Correct. You know, but again, if you tie your boat up right inside the slip, it's uh, yep. it's a du- it's double tie your lines. You know, and I recommend the second line that you're putting on there might be six inches or a little bit longer than the first one. So if you've got three strand nylon, you know, the one that's twisted around, that rope or that line actually has like a 15% stretch right. in it. The braided lines, the really nice, pretty ones that like most of your yachts will have, those don't have any stretch. So if you can kind of use the three strand nylon, right? And then back it up with the braided on top of that. So if that nylon does stretch out, then you got the strength to come back in behind it with the with the braided stuff, kind of reinforce it and help it. But uh, the the nylon is uh, is good because of that stretchability. Absolutely. You know, and then again, if you're out in the open bay or whatever, you might want to look for a marina that has a more protective area to tie up in. Um, and that's like you know. I mean, our place is like the perfect. Oh yeah, it's, it's, perfect a, it's hurricane a hurricane. Basin. Yeah. Oh my god, you know, I couldn't ask for anything better than that. But there, there are plenty of places around yeah. to do that. You know, we've got two questions left here, and we're going to get to both of them before four o'clock. We've got Mike McHenry. I love this question, man. We could do a whole episode about this because a big part of its opinion. What is your opinion on Garmin versus Raymarine for GPS chart plotter? Which one is easier to use for a low tech type of person? Um, it really all depends on what you're used to. I mean, there's people that have had a Raymarine, so they're probably going to be ready to go with another Raymarine and vice versa with a Garmin. I got to tell you, I'm an electronic idiot. I really yeah. am. I, I, I really <laughs> am. I can use a Garmin like nobody can. There, Garmins you. are definitely, I think, undoubtedly the most user-friendly. Yeah. I've got a Simrad on my boat. Uh-huh. I have a Garmin and a Simrad. Yeah. So, yeah, I have the Simrad for the engine information and my Garmin I use for uh, navigation. Um, the Simrad, I think, is a little bit more uh, technically advanced than the Garmin is for navigation, I think, I think and that's so. why I use yeah. it just for my engine information. Yeah, you know? plus your Simrad is going to talk to your Mercury mm-hmm. right. really well. Now, I know Keith, he's, he's more the expert on I'm going to the front so. and throw all those out. <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. Easy use right out of the box. Plug and play, something simple. Yeah. I think they all have their advantages. Oh, yeah, they absolutely. Go, For sure. You know, your Garmin's going to be your most user-friendly, in my opinion. Your Simrad's going to be the most technologically advanced. Um, you want to talk to some technology, your Raymarine is going to have the best relationship yep. with FLIR because of they're owned by FLIR. Right. Um, and, of course, I think that Raymarine has See, like, a lot of good OEM support, too, from, like, a lot of the yachts, like Galleon. So, like, with active, with active Captain, with Garmin. So, in my, my opinion, so the auto routing feature on Garmin, yeah. as long as you got the, the VG2 card in there, it's going to work and it's going to do it for you. It works real easy. If you've got a Raymarine or a Simrad that's using a Navionics card, which is owned by Garmin, yep. you have to continually keep your Simrad or your Raymarine unit updated. You've got to keep your Navionics chart card updated. Two different things for those to talk. So like when your Raymarine comes up, you know, the Navionics can get the freshest data. 
So then you've got to go and register your card. At the same time, you're going to have to register or get your, your Raymarine going. And then if there's an update two times a week, you've got to continually keep both those things updating so that it will do the auto routing and, and that stuff for you. Um, they're getting a lot. It's, it's getting easier. Uh, computer whizzes and stuff aren't going to have any problems with that. They're going to just go, okay, well, I'll go to Wi-Fi. I'll do this, I'll do that. But it's just a little, there's a couple more steps you got to take with the Raymarines and the Simrads for that feature. Um, Garmin, with their card, it just, it, it works. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how integrated it actually is nowadays, too, between the two. Like on my Garmin, all I did, of course, our electronics had gone, walks us through it. I plugged in a micro SD, saved it on a Garmin, transferred all my weight waypoints, all of my tracks and everything, plug it right into SimRat, literally just from one boat to another. If you guys do that, you got to make that file the GPX yep, file. Yep, I do that. And then it's, yeah, they're all, it's all interchangeable. Everything. Yep. Tracks, G- GPX. Yep. yep. So I, th- I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we have a few more questions here. Yeah, we're going in here real yeah. quick. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to say, we talked about spare parts before, and, and I completely forgot about inboards. If you guys are going to the Bahamas, I mean, we just had one. Carry spare props with you. Yep. Minimum spare props. Yep. If you can carry a spare shaft, even better. Because, uh, again, in the Bahamas, you can get somebody to fix it. You just can't get parts. Yeah. And over there, the coral heads and everything. People whack the bottom all the time. Yeah. So another spare thing to carry. Yeah. Around here, if you hit the bottom, you're probably going to do more damage to your ego than anything. Yeah. But, you know, you, you hit a coral head, you yeah. might be dead in the water. Um, I guess we can rapid fire yeah. through these we're questions. Go to the lightning round. Yeah. Whoever does that so anyway. we're going to rapid fire. So one. Um, salt away, yay or nay? Salt away, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Boating community, Lake of the Zurich. What's your take on switching from AGM to Life Pro 4 batteries? Uh, Here goes the lightning round. <laughs> I don't know that much yet about uh, the lithium ion batteries. Yeah. I mean, AGMs uh, are tried and true. The AGMs tried and true. Everything that I have, I've got an RV. I changed all the lead acid. Everything's AGM. Yeah. Um, I'm learning more about the, uh, the lithium batteries, mm-hmm. and I don't know that much yet about them. So like the fathom, what is the fathom inverters that we've got? The e fathom, yeah, e fathom, yeah. and then uh, a lot of stuff's kind of starting to make yeah. that switch over. Instead of generators, we're gonna have. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's the next big switch. I mean, of course, with all the electric cars and stuff nowadays, everybody wants to know when there's electric boats or, or whatever the next power source is going to be. But I mean, I think if you really want to look for something that you get excited for quick. It's not quite there yet, no. but it almost is. Yeah. You know, just replacing you know gas and diesel generators just to run those systems with these battery banks, I think, is so close that you know you can see it perfected almost right around the corner. Now, ABYC has a lot of information if you want to use uh, the, the lithium batteries yeah. for engine batteries, but there's a lot to it. So you might want to look up ABYC recommendations for that. So it looks like we got one more here. We got quite a few from Barry. Uh, let's start from the top. Best center console for both worlds. Um, really depends on what kind of boating you're going to be doing. A lot of people nowadays, a lot of these manufacturers are going to be not quite hardcore fishing machines, but they might have some family capabilities such as bow seating, a small center console in the head. Really depends on what kind of boating that you're going to be doing in salt or freshwater. Um, he's watching batteries catch on fire, blow up and catch on fire in his shop. There you go. 
keep a fire extinguisher handy. And safety um, first. Safety first. And like like we said, hey, the uh, technology is not quite there yet. So, mm-hmm. Um, that's all the questions. We made it through them. Now, that doesn't mean you need to stop. We do come through all these questions each and every time, and we'll get to them on the next episode. If you're watching this live, or you're not watching this live, go ahead, drop them in there, and we'll come through them a little bit later on. But you can catch us on any of those downloads as far as we're on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Music, everything to stream it in your car on the way home from work, and of course right here on Facebook and YouTube. We have a big episode planned next time. Stand by. We're going to make the announcement. Just got word from the guests being confirmed. But, um, I mean, who knows? If they back out, we'll probably have Bruce on here for the fourth time. I was going to say, something better. Come on, Nick. (laughs) Um, But it's it's been good. And, and of course, I mean, when we have Bruce on here, we can really go for two hours on the podcast. And, and, um, man, I wish you guys could hear some of the back – the the behind scenes footage from before the podcast the off air stories the off air stories absolutely probably can't air them all (laughs) yeah but um it's good to see you again bruce and um and we'll see you out on the water hopefully not though because if we're dealing with you that means something (laughs) might have gone wrong (laughs) you know having fun though i mean you know I, uh, I I love my boat. I love boating. That's yeah. why I'm in this business. You know, I really, really do. And uh, I'll tell you, 99% of the customers are just absolutely fantastic, you know. And usually when they're seeing me, they're not having a great no. time, you know. But um, uh, try and make it as painless as possible and get them back out on the water as quick as possible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we say it all the time. Boating's recreational. It's fun. Buying a boat should be fun. Maintaining a boot, not necessarily actually fun, but it shouldn't be the nightmare. A lot of people think that it is. Absolutely. And um, and that's what it's all about, getting you back out on the water. and Just don't let it get ahead of you. That's right. Just maintain maintenance and wash it and flush it. Yep. So, cool. Thanks all right, guys. guys. Thanks for hopping on. It's a wrap. We'll see you next time. So.